Well, good morning. My name is Ashley Green, um, and I'm a member here at Connection Point Church. Our pastor, Joel, is leading um, our Peru team. They're down in Peru um, helping to start new churches and to tell people about Jesus. And so um, we are going to continue this week to pray for their team um, and just that people would just come to know about the hope that we found in Jesus Christ. Um, I I really want to say that I'm excited to be up here this morning. Um, and I am, I have a holy expectation of what the Lord's going to do and just how he's going to speak. Um, because truth be told, this is something that I asked Joel at the end of 2018. At the end of the year, I said, hey, I really want to preach on this. Um, and, and he said yes. And so this is something that I have been um, looking into and kind of you know, roughly writing this sermon for a long time. So it's by far the most prepared I've ever been to preach. It's probably the most passionate, the topic is something I'm most passionate to preach about. Um, But if I'm honest, I'm terrified. I'm probably more, I am 100% more terrified to preach up here right now than I have any other time, even the first time that I preached. Um, Because this is something that I preach to myself daily. And it's something that I am still walking in and um, pursuing freedom in minute by minute. And so I'm just going to ask that we just start off just by praying, because the last thing I want to do is to stand up here and to, um, to, I don't want to sound smart. I don't want you to walk away and be like, man, Ashley was so good. Because I, and you'll hear, I have found that the only freedom from this is through Christ. And so we're going to pray just that, man, that God just speaks loud to us, but it's soft on our hearts. And so let me just pray for us. Lord, I I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me. I thank you for how you have moved in my life and in my heart in the area of shame. And Lord, I pray, man, just as you have ripped the shackles off of me as I struggle with shame, Lord, I pray that today that you would do the same for the people in this room. May your truth speak loud, but may it fall softly on our hearts that we may be moved closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So like I said, today I'm gonna be talking about shame. And um, I have been on a journey over the last year and a half or so, just my own personal journey in working through my shame. I didn't even realize that shame was something that I dealt with. I was always, um, truth be told, I was always the good kid. I, you know, I made, did well in school, never got in any trouble. Um, so I kind of thought shame wasn't something that I would ever deal with. Um, I, I, so over the last year and a half, I've sought a lot of scripture, talked with a lot of friends, read some books. I go to a counselor weekly. Um, and so, and it's just something that I am pursuing and I have found freedom in and continue to find freedom in. And I have realized that shame is something that permeates our culture and has since the beginning of time. And a lot of us won't even admit it. We're ashamed to, to admit that we struggle with shame. And so my hope today is that we can break free from that. And before you check out and think that this is something you're like, oh, I don't struggle with shame. This is totally irrelevant to me. I guarantee that there are people in this room, people in your life, your kids, your friends, there are people in your life that struggle with shame and you may not even recognize it. They may not even recognize it. 
But they need to know, you need to know about the freedom that comes through Christ from our shame. And so I think first it's important that we define what shame is. Shame is not guilt. Guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt is when you do something bad and you're like, like if, for instance, if you go to work and you, there's an error in your math and there's a big mess up. If you're walking in guilt, you're gonna go home at the end of the day and you're gonna think, man, like I really messed that up. Uh, but you, like, we're gonna go back tomorrow. I'm gonna fix it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna work hard. We can, we, we can work with this. But if you make that same error and you're walking in shame, you're gonna go home at the end of the day and you're gonna say, I am such a screw up. I am worthless to my company. I'm a terrible team member. Why do they even keep me around? Because that's what shame does. That shame becomes our identity. It doesn't, it's not about what we did, but it's about who we are. With shame, we connect what has happened to who we are. It becomes, I did bad, so I am bad. He or she rejected me, so I am invaluable. After what I did, I am unlovable. After what was done to me, I am worthless. Shame connects what happened with who we are. Shame can creep up in a lot of ways in our lives. For some people, shame can start very young. Maybe you were young and you were looking at something you shouldn't look at, whether it was a magazine or something on a computer and your parents caught you. That can be shameful. Or maybe you're looking at that same thing as an adult and your spouse or a friend finds out that can bring shame into your life. Maybe you have someone in authority, like a teacher or a boss, that tells you repeatedly that you will never measure up to your peers. That can bring shame. Or maybe there's someone that you love and respect that takes advantage of you and hurts you whether it is physically, verbally, sexually, emotionally, that can bring shame upon you because of what someone else has done to you. Shame, according to research, shame looks very different for men and women. For women, shame looks like I have to do it all, I have to do it perfectly, and I can never let them see me sweat. For men, shame just basically looks like I don't want to be perceived as weak. I don't want to admit my faults because I don't want to be perceived as weak. Shame does not have to come from something that is newsworthy or some big event. In fact, shame would like nothing else than for you to think, I don't struggle with shame because I haven't had this big event happen in my life. But no matter where shame starts, whether it is something big, something terrible that happened to you or that you were a part of, or it was a quiet whisper that someone told you over and over, shame always starts with a quiet whisper and it crescendos to a loud roar. And we don't even recognize it in our own lives. The earliest moments of shame <clears throat> that I can think of in my own life came from when I, when I was young, um, we had some family that lived um, out of state. And so um, my parents, they would put me and my brother on a plane and we'd fly out there and we'd spend a week um, away from our parents we'd, um, with this other family. And um, 
we were staying with um, a family member who is very, con- she's always been very concerned with the way you look. And, and outward appearance is everything. And uh, <clears throat> she, l- like, let's just be honest. I, let's pull the mask. I've always been a thicker person, okay? I've always, that, that's just, it, I come by it naturally, <laughs> okay? I've, all, I've just always been a thicker person. And I would go out there, I was eight or 10 maybe, and I would go out there and visit them for the summer. And, <clears throat> and, I, I, th- and this is what shame does. I never told anybody this until I was an adult. Not my parents, not my brother who was with me on that trip. She would make me weigh in every morning and I'd have to ride it on the refrigerator. And it was, my mo- it was supposed to be my motivation to stay out of the refrigerator. And then growing up all through middle school and high school, and even as I started college, she would tell me like, you're, you're never gonna get married looking like this. No one will love you. And that beca- I, I took that as my identity. I started to think like, it's not, Ashley, it's not just that you're like, yeah, you need to put in some work and lose some weight. It became, Ashley, you are unlovable. That was the loop that was playing in my head. And I'm very thankful. It is still hard to talk about, obviously. Unless I'm, you all know, I'm a crier. I have my tissue. Like, we're, it is what it is. But um, I, I, I went, th- about 10 years ago, I went to counseling specifically for this purpose. And I worked through it. And I really, I don't hold any bitterness towards her. I really don't walk in that shame anymore. But shame can start at an early, early age. We start to think, I am defective, I am damaged, I am broken, and I am flawed. I am dirty, I am ugly, I am impure, and I am disgusting. I am unlovable, I am weak, I am pitiful, I am insignificant, I am worthless, I am unwanted. Our shame becomes our identity, and we develop this shame-based thinking. Shame-based thinking can impact us in three different ways. The first way that shame-based thinking impacts us is we, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. We attempt to silence our shame by putting on a really good performance. We wanna be able to say, look at what I did, look how well I did it, Look how I exceeded all of your expectations because if you are praising me for what I've done well, you are not noticing the stuff that I'm hiding. When we are shameful, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. We also, are, when we are shameful, we are critical of ourselves, making us critical of others. We see our faults mirrored in other people and we hate the thing within ourselves So we shame the person that we see it in because we think if I shame them, if I'm critical of them, if I make them feel, if I make them feel bad about it, they won't, people won't notice it about me. I'll put all, all the attention on them. I'm dodging my own shame. I'm dodging my own junk because I am making them feel bad about themselves. Shamed people, shame people. That's how the cycle works. And that's why it was so important for me to work through this, to work through it, you know, even the stuff with my family member and even the stuff I'm working through now because I don't want to do that to my kids. I don't want to shame you. I don't want to shame you. The third way that shame-based thinking impacts us is we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. We focus 
on the worst possible outcome. And by doing this, we are sabotaging our opportunities and relationships. If you know anything about Brene Brown, who I am a big fan of, she's a leading expert in vulnerability and shame, she calls this a foreboding joy. What this means is when you look at your life and you think things are going well, everything's working out, even if you're in one situation and you're like, man, this is going good, you immediately start rehearsing the possible tragedy that that could play out. And we think that we're doing this because we want to prepare for what's going to happen. We want to be prepared. When in reality, we don't want to feel the shame of what happens if it doesn't work out. What happens if it doesn't go my way? And by doing this, we think we're preparing for the worst when really we are missing out on all the best. We are missing out on the best part of our opportunities, the best parts of our relationships, because in our minds we are rehearsing, how could this go wrong? because we don't wanna be vulnerable in that. My prayer today is that God would break the chain of shame that lives, that holds us back, and that is so prevalent in our lives. Isaiah 54, four says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth. That's my prayer that we will not be disgraced, that we will not be ashamed, that we we will forget, we will walk out of this door and we will be able to say, I can forget the shame that I walked in this door with. But that is only found through Christ. So why why don't we have to live in shame? Well, the easy answer for a lot of us that we would be, we would, and myself included, I would easily be able to spit out Well, Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is true. 1 John 1, 9, for if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, which is true. We sing all the time about who we are, about who God says we are. We read it in scripture. We tell it to our kids. I tell my my son every day, God has big plans for you. God loves you and he has big plans for you. Don't ever forget that. But do I walk in that? Do I embrace that in my reality, in my everyday life? We know it, but we're not embracing it. And let me tell you, if, you, if this is the first time that you are ever hearing that you can be free from shame, that you can be free from all of, the, all of the bad things that you're telling yourself, that you can have a true freedom that is only offered through Christ Jesus, please come and find me, come and find anybody that was up, there on, up here on the stage. We would love to talk to you about the freedom, not only from shame, but from all, everything that's holding you back. We would love to talk to you about that today. But some of us that know that, that know Jesus Christ as our personal savior, we are continuing to be bound by our shame and we don't even recognize it. But Christ's death was big enough for our shame. And so today we're going to look in scripture at a woman who was living in shame. And so we're going to look at Luke 8 and um, it'll be on the screens. It's it's at connectionpoint.life. As well, if you go on your phones or if you look in the Bibles underneath your chair, it's on page 562. So we're going to look in Luke 8, and this is actually a story within a story. You see here, Jairus, is, um, he has a sick daughter, and he's asked Jesus to come and heal her. And so Jesus is walking along a road, along a road to go to Jairus' house, and there's a, there's a large crowd around him. So let's start reading in verse 43. It says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 
And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I've heard this story a lot of times. I never realized the shame that this woman was walking in. She knew knew about her condition. She knew that it made her an outcast in her society. Everybody else knew about her condition. But she snuck up behind Jesus. She wanted to stay hidden. I believe that with her shame, there was a sense of pride and the fact that because she did come up and sneak up behind. Do you know she's one of the only people in scripture that sought healing for Jesus yet tried to sneak it in? Because she was too prideful. And that's that's a lot of us. We are too prideful to ever deal with our shame. But that is the exact formula for how shame works. It is our inadequacy and our pride. And when this happens, we split our lives we split ourselves into two different versions. We have the ideal you and the bad you. The ideal you, that's the you that shows up at church on Sunday morning. <laughs> that's the you that you wanna be. That's the you that you like because you're behaving. That's the you that you think others like because you're performing. And it's definitely the version of you that you think God likes because it's the one that you think is easy to love. We have this ideal version of ourselves, but, but we fall short. We always fall short. We have our inadequacies. If the ideal you is that you are a hard worker, that you're disciplined, that's the you that you wanna be. But the truth is you're lazy. You really don't get all your work done. You spend a lot of time on social media at work. <clears throat> you're probably walking in a bit of low grade shame in that. <coughs> If you, are the, if you say that you're the type of person that is ferociously faithful, you would never cheat on your spouse. Yet you entertain fantasies about someone that's not your spouse. You flirt with coworkers. You're looking around online, whether you're looking at pornography or you're stalking your exes on Facebook. That dirtiness that you feel, that shame. <coughs> Excuse me. Shame is there because you have fallen short of your ideal. And that's when you find that you are the bad version of yourself. This is the you that you think that you don't like. (coughs) I'm really sorry. It's the you that you think others don't like. And it's definitely the version of you that you think God doesn't like. And this is where we wallow. This is where we stand and we say, look, I I am the bad version. I'm broken, I'm unlovable, I'm invaluable. I got nothing. I am nothing. This is where shame runs rampant. But if we look in verse 45, Jesus said, who was it that touched me? 
Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew who touched her. He knew exactly what happened. But he also knew that she had taken off. She touched him. She found healing. She sought healing. And then she took off. Because if you look in verse 47, it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she tried to go run. She tried to run. She tried to hide. That's what shame does. We always hide. We, we, when we do recognize the shame in our lives, it is intolerable. And we either deal with it or we run and hide. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. This is nothing new. Today, our running and hiding from our shame, it can look like when we run to religious things. Maybe we come to church on Sunday to make us feel better about what we did on Saturday night. We want to work or to the gym so that we can perform. We run to housework, to yard work, and to the garage so that we don't have to think about it. We hide behind the screens of our computers and our phones. We run to our addictions so that we can numb out. We hide behind bravado and humor and timidity. We hide in outright lies and diversionary conversations. We will do whatever we can to hide from our own shame. And I have done this for a long, long time. And I have only realized that it was, I can't, I can't do it on my own. Because no matter where I run and hide, even if you're sitting in a chair on a Sunday morning at church, even if you are trying to hide here from your shame, if you are not taking it to Jesus, that ideal you and that bad version of you, it's there in your seat with you. And it's going to be with you when you walk out the door. If we are not willing to come to Christ with our shame, our shame will continue to scream loudly over us. But there is a remedy to our shame. And that remedy is true for that woman and it is true for us. If we continue reading in verse 47, it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. She was ready to quit hiding. She was ready to step out, to fall in front of the, at the feet of Jesus, declaring him as her Lord, And not only saying to him, but saying to everyone around him, this is why I need healing. This is the healing I'm seeking. But yet so many of us still want to, we want to run up behind Jesus. We want to touch him. We want to get some, get a little bit of healing. And then we want to run back and hide again because we are living in shame. The remedy to our shame is to come to terms with our reality. The truth is, the reality is, there will always be more inadequacies in yourself than there is that ideal. This side of heaven, there will always be more inadequacies. And some of us, that's hard for us to, we don't want to admit that. But God is not surprised by that. He's not surprised by your inadequacies. He loves us anyways. He loves you even with your inadequacies. He wants you to bring your inadequacies to him because we need the gospel every day. I need to be reminded of the gospel every day because I face my inadequacies every day. We need a savior, not just for one time, but for a lifetime. 
And when I say that, I don't mean that you need to ask Jesus every day for your salvation. The end of Romans 8 says that nothing, nothing can snatch you from his hand. But shame wants to make you think otherwise. Shame wants to make you think, oh, you messed up enough that you are, you're out. Shame wants to make you think you're dirty enough, your thoughts are dirty enough, you are unlovable, there's no way God could love you. So I need to be reminded every day, uh-uh. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and love, faithful to forgive me of all of my unrighteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need to remind, be reminded of the gospel for myself every day. Romans 1.16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed to claim that we need the gospel every day. Recently, we've talked a lot about vulnerability and opening up within our connect group. And there was something that Tafadza said a few months ago that, man, it convicted me. We have, I have brought it up over and over, both at our connect group and around our dining room table with my husband. He said, Tafadza said, and he said this is patented, so I'm going to keep saying his name so that you all know that he was the one that said it. But um, he said, you know, within, our, within a Christian culture, within our Christian culture, whether it's preachers, teachers, um, speakers, authors, whatever, we talk a lot about healing and redemption. But we always talk about it when it's something that we've already come out of. How many of us talk about it when we're in the middle of it? When we can stand up here and say, you know what, I am addicted and I'm still struggling with it. I do, like, it's not that I used to struggle with shame, I still do. It's not that I used to struggle with lust, but I still do. We're ashamed, we are ashamed that we need the gospel. We think for some, somehow we've told ourselves that we've gotta have it together. We've gotta have everything figured out. And if I'm totally transparent, if, I, if, if I'm gonna stand up here and say, oh, that's great that Tafazo said that, but we're just gonna keep like, we're just gonna keep going with that. <laughs> that sounds nice, that feels good. But we can't, I can't do that. If, I'm tra- if I am like 100% vulnerable in this moment, and this is, what, this is where I have the tissues. Um, I, that stuff with my family member of what she told me growing up, like I said, I really, that really doesn't, I don't walk in that anymore. I have dealt with that. But I still struggle with shame-based thinking on the daily. And my dominant shame-based thought is that I am inadequate and that I am not worthy. You see, my, our kids right now, they're one, two, and three. And so we live in a world of timber tantrums and diapers and please go back to your room and go to sleep. <laughs> and and uh, recently, I was, I, I, and I mess up daily. I raise my voice, I lose my patience. And recently we were across the street at the CPS office, our girls, we're a foster family, and so our girls were having a visit with their parents, and um, it was, for some reason it was taking them a very long time to come and get the girls, and we were in a very full waiting room in the CPS office, and it's all glass, so everybody's watching everything. And so my kids, I mean, I had zero control. It was like an opening scene of Nanny 911. They were all in their own corners, like throwing books, yelling, hitting each other. And I, was, and I would like go, and I would, and you're, again, you're in the CPS office, and so all I can say is like, well, we're gonna, let's talk about this. Um, 
And so I would get, you know, and I would try to get one calm down and then the other one would like lose their minds. And I called my husband afterwards and I was crying. And I was like, I'm a terrible mom. I couldn't even control one of them. Like, it was awful. And he was so encouraging. But you know, I realized, I think a lot of parents struggle with that type of thing. I realized that I struggle feeling like an an inadequate mom, an adequate parent on a much deeper level. For Mother's Day this year, my husband bought me this shirt. And when I opened it, I started crying a lot, which I'm sure none of you are surprised by. Um, Because it was in that moment that I realized, man, like, there is something a lot more here. As a lot of you know, my husband and I, we've been married for almost eight years. And after we'd been married for, for a year, we decided we wanted to start a family. And so after a year of, we didn't have any luck of getting pregnant. We, got, we both had our, you know, our own medical testing and realized that because of our own our separate issues, though it wasn't impossible, it would be really hard for us to get pregnant. And so we um, decided to become foster parents. And through a story that only God could write, We got our first placement two hours after getting licensed, and we adopted him 13 months later. And that never, never happens. And I hate to, like, if I'm, I go to, like, foster parent, like, foster mom support groups, I hate telling my story because it's not, it's so rare to get a healthy baby and and for it to go straight to adoption. Because 13 months is a very short amount of time to adopt from foster care. And, and, but, you know, for those 13 months, I had so many people. I had so many people tell me, he may call you mom, but you're not his mom. You're a caregiver. And over the last four years, we've had 10 other kids in and out of our home that have called us mom and dad. And I'm repeatedly told, and they, they are doing it with the nicest of intentions, at least the kind ones are. They're, they're trying, the CASA and the caseworkers and the judges, they're trying to like keep you up to date. Like, they don't want you living in this fantasy world. They, like Most kids go home. Most foster kids return home or go to family. And so... They're like, it's, they're like, it's great for you to get attached. It's great for them to call you mom and dad. But at the end of the day, like, you could get a phone call and they're gone tomorrow. That's just the reality of it. And so even with my son, who I love and adore, and he's been adopted. I mean, he has been a green for almost three years now. But I still struggle every day, every day, feeling like, because these kids, because my son was not born from my body, that I'm not worthy of being called a mom. And so my husband, before I, we, I'd even talked about it with him, recognized this erroneous loop playing in my head. And that's why he bought me this shirt. And that's what I talk about with my counselor every week. It's like, I struggle. I, str- I feel like I have, to, I have to do that perfectionism thing. I have to perform. I have to show that I'm the best mom. I have to feel like, because my, my son he doesn't look anything like me. 
And so when we're out in public, it's obvious that he did not come from my body. And so I feel like I have to prove to everybody else that I'm his mom. I have to prove I'm not a babysitter. I have, you know, especially when I have, uh, when I have multiple kids and they all look different, it gets a little weird. And, and I feel like I, have to, like I have to be the best of the best moms. I have to make you believe that I'm his mom. But in reality, I'm trying to make myself feel worthy as his mom and as the mom to all of my kids. I have been talking about this a lot with my counselor recently, and he told me um, some scripture that I had never heard before. And I told him, I said, I will tell everybody I know this scripture. I will, ta- I will put it on, I'll tattoo it, I'll put it on my mirror, I'll put it everywhere. Because there is freedom in it. And that is 1 John 3.20. It says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Sometimes when we have the shame-filled loop replaying in our minds, our own hearts condemn us. But God knows that. He knows it all and he is greater than it all. God is greater than our hearts. He is greater than our shame. He knows the depths and the darkness of what you walked in here with. And he is here to tell you, listen, child, someone may have told you shame on you. You may have told yourself shame on you. But today God says shame off you. Shame off you. You don't have to walk in this anymore. Whoever told you shame on you, they were probably told shame on them. So walk in the freedom of that. We walk in this freedom, we break free from this shame. When we are just like this woman, we are able to come out of hiding and open up about it. Be vulnerable, which is terrifying. The definition of vulnerability is to to walk into something not knowing the outcome. We think vulnerability is when we stand up here. If I stand up here and tell you this, this hard story, right? Vulnerability is telling you all my secrets. But vulnerability is when I have no idea how you're gonna react. When I sit down and have coffee with you and I tell you my deepest and darkest shame and I have no idea what you're going to say. My prayer is that we are a church, that we can sit down with people. And when when you sit down with me, you sit down with someone in your connect group and you say, "This this is the shame I'm dealing with, that that other person says, well, you know what? I love you. And, and there is no one, no one that will love you, embrace you more than the Lord. But I recognize, because shame's gonna make you feel like that the Lord will never embrace you when you're messed up and dirty. But I will be the friend who's gonna link arms with you and is gonna limp with you as we walk towards freedom, as we walk towards the Lord and find freedom. May we be that kind of church. Because I encourage you, as you leave here today, Find one person. I'm not asking for you to come up here and for you to tell everybody what you're ashamed about. But find one person, whether it's your spouse, someone in your connect group, someone on your serve team, your best friend from high school. Get a counselor. I have a good one. Find someone and this week, sit down with them and just be vulnerable. Vulnerable needs nothing but silence and secrecy to grow. Shame needs nothing but silence and secrecy to grow. Mr. Rogers says everything that is mentionable is manageable. 
You've got to mention it. You've got to bring it up. Because as long as you are focused on you, you will never be enough. You will never be enough. I was never enough to perform on my own. Because you know what? I had to get up the next day and keep performing. I got up the next day and I found another inadequacy. But because of Christ, I'm enough. Because of Christ, I'm not bad. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. I am not broken. Because of Christ, I am new. I am not disgusting. Because of Christ, I am loved. I am not worthless. Because of Christ, I have value. I am not inadequate. Because Christ in me, Christ in me is more than enough. You are not your past. You are not what someone did to you. You are not what you did. You are who Christ says you are. You are free. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are redeemed. You are healed. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are complete and accepted because you are a child of God. And so I want to close with this. And if you, um, if you know anything about Brene Brown, she, um, her, she has a whole book based on this quote. And it's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt where he says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or whether the doer of deeds could have done them better. We've all been that person. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, which we will, if he fails, at least he fails daring greatly. May we be a church that's in that arena. May we be a church that's in the arena and says, like, you know what? Dust and sweat and blood and all of it, we're going to be in the arena with you. May we be a church that's daring greatly because that is where freedom is found. So let's commit to that because you are not what you did. You are what Christ has done for you. You are not what happened to you. You are who Christ says you are. And there is freedom in that. So let us pray. God, I thank you for what you've done in my life in the area of shame. Lord, forgive me for the times when I think that your, that your grace is not enough for that. Lord, I pray that today, for those of us in here that are bound by shame that we may not even recognize, Lord, may we link arms with other people who will limp alongside us as we pursue freedom in you. God, I pray that we may stand strong in who you say we are. May that erroneous loop that plays in our minds, may we put that to rest. God, thank you that when I feel like the world around me is saying, Ashley, shame on you. God, that you said, Ashley, shame off you. Thank you, Lord, for being big enough to handle my deep and dark and dirty and secret shame.
You are good. You are good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.